0: Psalm 32. If you don't have your notebooks out, go ahead and get them out. We're doing a Bible study this morning, and you'll have plenty of opportunity to take some notes over the next couple of minutes. I want to begin by asking you a question What's the best advice you've ever received? Maybe it was shared with you by a parent, maybe a grandparent, perhaps it was a teacher or a coach. You know, just a piece of great, practical, hands-on advice that you've remembered for years and have shared with many people. I'll give you just a second. I'm actually not taking answers, Cohen, but I want you to share with me later what you got. But I came across a New York Times article this week, and the writer of this article, he had collected from his readers um, this the, the best advice that they had ever heard. And then uh, he had kind of submitted in this article uh, those be- his opinion, what the best ones that he had received were. And I wanted to share two of my favorites with you. Um, the first one was, don't pickle things. Don't pickle things. I really like that. He said, that line was brought by a reader, Sam's mother. It means if you have something special, use it today. Serve daily meals on your good china. Wash your hands with the luxurious soap you received as a housewarming gift. Don't save things for future use because who knows what the future looks like. Don't pickle things. Thought that was good. Then this was my favorite. This was from a young reader. Said this was the advice. I've never seen a cat skeleton in a tree. This young reader named Alexandra couldn't get her cat down from a tree, and her grandmother reassured her with those words, predicting correctly that the cat would eventually come down. Never seen a cat skeleton in a tree. Try to work that one into your conversation this week. Um, the best dental advice, as many of you know, I was going to be a dentist before. Uh, I became a minister, and um, I was. I worked with an orthodontist in Athens, Georgia, for a year. And this was his big advice. It, he really left an impression on me. My wife will tell you it's. It's because I've shared it with her for years and with our kids. But it's this: flossing is just as important as brushing. That's, that that I mean that's been like so ingrained into who I am over the last 25 years of my life. And uh, I was sharing this with a couple of our kind of local dentists, Dr. Jim and Dr. Luke, uh, on Wednesday night, and they assured me this. They said, you don't have to floss all of your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. (laughs) So that's kind of some good advice to take with you there. Best relational advice that I've ever received is this. Be someone who's interested, not someone who's interesting. Um, that was passed on to me several years ago, and that's one that I've shared with many people. I've shared that with my kids when dating. You know, be wary of someone who's trying to be interesting to you instead of interested in you. Um, I think that's a great piece of a relational advice. But with that, and hopefully that's given you some time to think of some advice that you've received through the years, I want to look at Psalm 32 if you notice there under the chapter heading, your Bible says that it's written by David and that it's a masculine. Now, that's just a Hebrew word that scholars think means the giving of instruction, or I would like to suggest this morning, in the kind of context that I've already provided for you, the giving of advice. Here in this psalm, David is giving us some advice. Here in Psalm 32, I think David, later in his life, he's looking back over his illustrious career as shepherd king of Israel, and it reads almost, if someone were asked him the question, David, is there one piece of advice that you'd share with the next generation? You've accomplished so much, you've seen so much, you've written so much, you've lived so much life with everything you've learned. What's the one piece of advice you would give? And these are not David's words. They're mine. But I think they summarize his message well in a memorable form this morning. Uh, And if you you write in your Bibles, you may want to write this up at the top of the page. This is the takeaway today. This is what I have for you today. Here it is. Psalm 32, David's best advice ever, I'm calling it. Here it is. When you mess up, Fess up. When you mess up, fess up. Let's pray. Father, this is very practical advice, but it's um, it's a word that's very difficult. Sounds easy, but it's difficult to live out. And so my prayer for us this morning as we dive into Psalm 32 here. Uh, is that you will imprint this advice, this this wise advice that David gives to us here in this psalm, um, and that this advice will that we'll remember it, just like we've remembered kind of these other ones that I've mentioned this morning. That they they and they they are there on our hearts as we live. They change the way we live and do things. I pray that this advice from David here changes who we are, changes the way we live, that when we mess up, we fess up. That becomes how we're known, who we're known as. And so just open up our hearts to your word this morning. Imprint this message on them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, to understand the context of Psalm 32, you have to first go to Psalm 51 because the two Psalms, scholars believe, are connected to one another. David wrote Psalm 51 as a response to the Lord after the prophet Nathan had confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. Now, in case you're not familiar with David's sin, not only did he commit adultery, but he also created this elaborate scheme to try to cover it all up. And it ended, of course, with his having uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, one of his finest and most trustworthy soldiers, killed in battle. I think it's very important to note in that story that David spent a year covering up his sin. In between 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12 is a year. David kept silent concerning his sin. He spent a year rationalizing it away and numbing himself to it. And after allowing for this behavior to go on for a year, God finally sends Nathan to confront him concerning his sin. And Psalm 51 is David's beautiful response to being confronted with his sin. It's his response to the Lord. if If you've spent time in the Psalms, you know Psalm 51 well. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I have been sinful from birth. Create in me a pure heart. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then in verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And it's that verse, verse 13 of Psalm 51, that scholars link to our psalm this morning. Psalm 32 is the instruction of Psalm 51, 13. When David says in Psalm 51, 13, that I will then teach transgressors your way so that they'll turn to you and follow my lead, Scholars believe Psalm 32 is this instruction. This is what he teaches from what he's learned. It's this wonderful instruction. It's this wonderful advice. Once once David's relationship has been restored to the Lord, from then on, he will use what he learned from that experience to teach others to teach others who find themselves in similar situations, to to teach transgressors the ways of the Lord so that sinners will turn back to him. Psalm 32 is the instruction. It's the mask skill. It's the advice that he gives the sinner in order to turn them back to God. And once again, the summary of David's best advice ever is when you mess up, fess up. Now, I want you to notice here in Psalm 32 that the very first word of this psalm is the word blessed, the word blessed, which scholars agree is better translated today as happy because happy is is a much more animated word. It's in this word, there is an exuberance to this word that scholars just don't think blessed in our conversation today still captures as happy as he is how this psalm begins. And then the very last verse of this psalm, verse 11, is full of joy. It could not be more packed with joy. In fact, the last verse contains three different verbs, each one describing joy. It's rejoice, be glad, Sing with joy. And so this psalm begins with happiness and it ends with overflowing joy. And my question is how? Where has David found such happiness and joy? For the the kind of happiness and joy that David describes in Psalm 32 has been the pursuit of man from the beginning of time. Our country, the United States of America, was founded on the belief that all citizens should have the right to pursue happiness. And our government was created to help protect this right of every citizen, the right to pursue happiness. Well, in Psalm 32, David says, look no more. Stop the search, for I found it. True happiness, overwhelming joy. What has he found? What has David discovered? There was a classic commercial that only people my age and older will remember. It was a cartoon. It featured this young boy who was trying to find the answer to one of life's most pressing questions. Here was the question. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? It's an important question, right? Well, I actually want to share the commercial with you this morning, especially for our younger folks that have maybe not seen it. So let's cue up that commercial and watch it together. It's a cow. <laughs> yeah. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? I don't know. I always end up biting. Ask Mr. Fox, for he's much cleverer than I. Mr. Fox, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? Why don't you ask Mr. Turtle, for he's been around a lot longer than I. Me? (laughs) I bite. Mr. Turtle... How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? I never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl, for he is the wisest of us all. Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? A good question. Let's find out. One, two, three, three. If there's anything I can't stand, it's a smart owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> the world may never know. Have a lot of folks remember that commercial? I, I share that commercial with you this morning because uh, it helps me to illustrate Psalm 32. I'm going I'm to show you how. You see, just like the young boy, we're trying to find the answer to one of life's most pressing questions. It's not about getting to the center of a tootsie pop. Instead, it's about getting to the center of true happiness. It's about finding the heart of real joy. What David presents us with here in this psalm is not a tootsie pop, but instead what I'm going to call a joy pop. It begins with happiness. It ends with rejoicing. You see, it's surrounded by joy. But what's at the center of all this joy? What's at the heart of all this happiness? At the very center of this psalm is verse 5. Not only is it at the center, but it's also the longest verse in this psalm. This is a literary way of saying it's the most important verse. Just to make sure we don't miss it, David has included not one, but two salads in the margins. Good definition of Selah is to pause and take notice. So anytime you see a Selah in the margins of a psalm, the intent is for the reader to pause and take notice of what's been written. And you'll notice that there's one right before verse 5, and there's one right after verse 5. This is the verse. It's at the very center, word count-wise. It's at the middle of this psalm. It's at the center of this joy pop. This is the reality that we discover to be at the very center of true happiness. It's the heart of overwhelming joy. You can stop the search. The pursuit is over, for we have found it. It's the center of the joy pop. Verse 5, listen closely. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Did you hear that, church? At the center of joy, at the heart of happiness, is the forgiveness of sin. This psalm begins with happiness and ends with rejoicing, and at its very core is forgiveness of sin. David knows this to be true. He has experienced it in his life. And it's only in the forgiveness of sin that we will discover true and lasting happiness and joy. That's it. Amen? That's where the happiness is found. That's where the joy, that's where you can find it. Listen, my, my week this last week, it sounds like a country music song, if I were to tell you about it. I, and I'm, you know, I'm not up here complaining. I'm just sharing. You know, my dad's at home in hospice. My, my car, my baby, my Honda van that I've just babied for the last I don't know how many years I've had that thing, but it's, it's down dead in front of Casey County High School. Drove it down there Tuesday, made it all the way down there, and then the engine just stopped. It's gone. Not coming back. Matt Franklin assured me of that. He was with us. I don't know anything about cars, but he told me. That's what he told me. And then yesterday, this basketball team, these girls that I've coached all season long, we made it to the... Regional championships. We were going for the very first regional championship in our program history for varsity, and we lost by one point. Like, ah, just like breaks your heart for these girls, and you're just over there crying with these girls. And listen, if happiness, if joy were to be found in any of those things... I'd be standing before you this morning, a miserable person. But guess what? That's not where happiness is found. Joy is not found in any one of those things. My happiness and my joy is found in the forgiveness of sin. And you can't take that happiness and that joy away from me. I'm the happiest, most joyful person on the planet because my sins have been forgiven. David knew that. And he said, I'm going to teach that to others so that they also will come to the Lord. And so it's with that reality in mind that David shares this instruction. It's with that reality in mind that David gives his best advice ever. He says, when you mess up, Fess up. Get it out there. I don't know how to say this any clearer. We're all going to mess up. If you had not figured that out yet. Not one of us are making it through this life perfect. Paul would write in Romans 3 that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth. So David does not write in verse 1 of this psalm that happiness is found in never messing up. Happiness is found in getting it all right. Happiness is found in everything going our way. No, there's no happiness available in attempting to do everything right. Efforts to be flawless will only lead to frustration. I want you to hear what David has discovered. Happiness is not even available to the flawless. Happiness is only available to the forgiven. Jesus himself said that he did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Jesus himself said he did not come to call the righteous. He came to call the sinners. Happiness is not found through the pursuit of good health, through the pursuit of right living. Instead, happiness is for the sick and sinner who have found forgiveness. We're going to mess up. Count on it. Plan on it. Bank on it. In this incredible verse here, verse 5, at the, right here at the middle, at the center of this psalm, David actually uses three different words to describe the ways we mess up. Like one doesn't capture it, right? One, one word isn't enough to kind of capture the ways that we mess up. So he has to use three. First, he says we sin. The root meaning of this word means to miss the mark. It has the sense of missing a target. In fact, in Judges chapter 20, we read about a group of 700 Benjamites who were superior shots with their slings. The text says that they could sling a stone at a hair. And here's literally what the text says. They can sling a stone at a person's hair and not sin. That's what the text says there in Judges. They not miss the mark or miss the target. You see, we mess up when we miss the mark. And what that means is we can do the right thing for the wrong reason and miss the mark. We can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and miss the mark. It's called sin. It happens. Second, he says we have iniquity. We have iniquity. This comes from the word meaning, this is a great definition, to bend or twist something out of its original and proper shape. Isn't that good? That's what iniquity means. It's to bend or twist something out of its original and proper shape. You see, this happens when we twist or bend something that God created or that God said out of its original and proper shape in order to fit into something that we want. Marriage is a good example. God created marriage. To be a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. We mess up when we bend or twist that into something else than what God created. It's called iniquity. Third, he says we transgress. This is a strong word that carries with it the meaning of rebellion. This occurs when we clearly know something is wrong, yet we choose to do it anyway. It's a very insightful word because it helps us to see that our mess-ups are not just mistakes, but acts of rebellion against God. Are you following me? Our sin, our mess-ups are not just mistakes, but acts of rebellion against God. That's transgressions. We mess up. We miss the mark. We bend things out of shape. We rebel against the Lord. David's advice is when we mess up, fess up. David also uses three different words to des- in verse 5 to describe the ways that we're to fess up. So not only does he use three words to describe the mess up, but he has three words to describe the fess up. Listen to these three words. He says, acknowledge uncover, and confess. Now, I just, I don't have time this morning to go through each one of these like I did uh, the first three, but I want to summarize this fess up part of David's advice by saying this. What these words tell us is that fessing up is not just saying I'm sorry. Are you following me? Are you, do you hear me? As, Fessing up is not just telling somebody that you're sorry. When we fess up, we have to name it and claim it. When we fess up, I must name the sin and claim my part in it. We have to own and make it known. We must take ownership of our mess up and make it known. To the Lord and to anyone else who may have been affected by it or offended by it. It's what it means to fess up. Name and claim. Own and make known. Look, I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Not with the language that, that David uses here. We must acknowledge it, uncover it, and confess it. I hope you see that at the, at the center of true happiness and real joy is the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, there is not more practical advice for David to give to you this morning than when you mess up, fess up. Happiness is not for the flawless. Happiness is for the forgiven. Let me um, describe this, this, this gift of forgiveness to you um, by sharing with you one last set of three words that's found here in this psalm. There's another set of three words uh, that I think are really important here, and this is how we'll close out our time this morning. But this group of words is not there in verse 5, but it's in the first two verses of the psalm, verses 1 and 2. And all three are words that David uses to help us to understand The true happiness found in the forgiveness of sin. true happiness found in the forgiveness of sin. First, he says, our transgressions are lifted up. He says our transgressions are lifted up. Happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven. The word translated as forgiven literally means to be lifted up. You see, with sin comes a great burden of guilt and shame. And the weight of that guilt and the weight of that shame can destroy us. It can debilitate us. But here's the good news. On the cross, this is the gospel. On the cross, all of your sins, past, present, future, are lifted up from you and placed on Jesus Christ. Do you see that imagery there? Our transgressions are lifted up. On the cross, they're lifted up off of us, placed on him. So when we we mess up, Fess up, because our sins are lifted up. They're lifted up. Removed from us, placed on him. Second, he says our sins are not counted up. I'm skipping over to verse 2, and then I'm going to come back. But second, he says our sins are not counted up. Blessed is the man who sin the Lord does not count against him. This is a bookkeeping term. It's a term that an accountant would use. Psalm 130 says, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And so here's the good news. On the cross, all of your sins, past, present, future, are not counted against you but instead are counted against him, counted against Jesus. They're put on his record. You think of it kind of like a bookkeeping term, like an accountant, that like God as an accountant. He doesn't keep that record of those sins on your record, but instead he counts those on his record. Oh, trust me, your sins have to be accounted for. But they're not counted up on your record. And so when we mess up, fess up, because our sins are not, count, are not counted up. Not on our record, but instead on the record of Jesus. And then third, he says our iniquities are covered up. Our iniquities are covered up. Blessed is he whose sins are covered. This is a great image. If you're not familiar with this image, that's why I wanted to close with this one. It's just a beautiful image. It's a religious term. The imagery is from the Day of Atonement when the high priest would take the blood of a perfect lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat or the lid of the Ark of the Covenant You see, inside the ark were the tablets of the covenant that Israel had broken again and again and again. In this action of taking this blood from this perfect lamb and sprinkling on the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant, it symbolized God's covering up of Israel's breaking of his covenant. The word literally means to conceal from sight in a sense that God no longer sees the sin. And here's the good news. On the cross, all of your sins, past, present, future, are covered up by the blood of Jesus. They're covered up by his blood. So when we mess up, We fess up because our sins are covered up, covered up by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to conclude with this invitation this morning. It's what I call the paradox of forgiveness. Here it is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and I pray that you have ears to hear it. When we uncover our sin, God covers it up. But when we cover up our sin, it remains uncovered by God. Did you hear that? When we uncover our sin, God covers it up. But when we cover up our sin, it remains uncovered by God. So listen, please, to David's best Advice ever given this morning. When you mess up, fess up. Because your sins are lifted up on the cross, counted up on his record, and covered up by his blood. Psalm 32, 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message of hope, this message of joy. This message of happiness. David discovered it. And he wants to teach us where to find it. It's not found in a flawless life. It's found in a forgiven one. And so, Lord... We're all in the same boat. We all mess up. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so when we mess up, through your Holy Spirit, give us the strength. Give us the desire. Give us the drive to fess it up, not to cover it up. To uncover it so that you'll cover it. I pray that you'll take this message this morning, place it on our hearts, change us forever. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. This morning, if there's someone here who um who has who doesn't know Jesus Christ, right? You you hear this message today and you say I want that happiness. I want that joy. Well, that happiness and that joy only comes through Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of your sin. And we would love to be a part of that this morning. You can come this morning. Confess that you've messed up in your life. Join the rest of us. And confess that you've messed up, that you want to fess up, then you can put Jesus Christ on. Place your faith in him in baptism this morning. We would love to be a part of that. Turn from your ways and come to him this morning as we stand together and sing.